A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. A true crime podcast. An audio guided walk. Featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, long-forgotten murders. All set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about one of the most disturbing acts of terrorism to be perpetrated in London's West End. So shocking and violent, it was unlike anything we had seen before. But outside of the victim's loved ones, this tragedy is practically forgotten. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 133, The Termination of LL Flight 016. Today, I'm standing on Duke Street in Mayfair, W1, three streets east of the Hyde Park bombing, one street east of the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko, one street south of Elsie Goldsmith's electrical abortion, and one street north of the slaughtered family of Joseph King. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Interconnecting with the bustling shopping splurge of Oxford Street and running parallel with the overpriced hotels of Park Lane, Duke Street is one of those posh little places which is unremittingly vague. It's almost as if it doesn't want to be remembered for anything. Look up any wall in Mayfair and you'll see a series of plaques commemorating all manner of historical nonsense. As with stately pomp, they proudly declare, here an author sneezed, here an actor breathed, and here a businessman did something good for the poor. So please ignore their sex crimes, their fraud, and their history as a slave trader. On the corner of Grosvenor Square and Duke Street sits the London Marriott Hotel, a colossal seven-storey five-star hotel, formerly known as the Europa. With fine dining, soft sheets, and its staff trained to cater to our every whim, for many, it's the perfect place to unwind after a long flight to London. 
outside on the Brickline Drive, is often sat a flank of silver Mercedes, shuttling guests from the airport to the hotel. To make their stay more pleasurable, the second a guest sets foot in the grand entrance. They're greeted by a concierge, given the keys by reception, and their bags are whisked away by the porters. For the crew of El Al Flight 016, the Europa was a regular stopover between Heathrow and New York. It was familiar and welcoming. And being tired, they looked forward to a lovely meal and a good night's sleep. But before they could even reach the door, nine lives would be changed forever. The termination of El Al Flight 016 was one of the bloodiest acts of terrorism in London's dark history. But there are no memorials to the fallen, no plaques to the survivors, and no statues to the dead. As it was here, on Sunday the 20th of August 1978, at 1.34pm, that this peaceful hotel entrance was turned into a bloodbath. But just as quickly as this atrocity had ended, it was forgotten forever. Of the 21-strong crew of LL Flight 016, not one of them was the true target of the terrorists. But when there's a war of words between governments and groups, it's always the innocent who are hurt. On the 28th of September 1948, the inaugural flight of El Al Airlines, Israel's flagship carrier, began in very inauspicious circumstances. With Israel's first president, Heim Wiedsman, due to attend a conference in Switzerland, but blockaded by a travel embargo imposed on the country's military aircraft. An Israeli C-54 transporter carrier was repainted with a fake logo and a made-up name and flown non-stop from Tel Aviv to Geneva and back again the next day, where it was repainted and returned to military duties. Two weeks later, El Al Israel Airlines was formed, with the bulk of its acquisition funded by the Israeli government. As a symbol of the Israeli government, El Al Airlines has had many acts of terrorism perpetrated upon it by the PFLP, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, an anti-Zionist terror group who do not recognize the state of Israel and draw attention to the plight of their occupied lands through hijackings, bombings and assassinations. 23rd of July 1968 the PFLP hijacked El Al-426, holding 48 hostages for 39 days. 26th of December 1968, two PFLP gunmen opened fire on El Al-253, killing an Israeli mechanic. 18th of February 1969, El Al-432 was attacked, killing the co-pilot and injuring the pilot. September 1970, LL-219 and LL-707 
were two of four airliners hijacked by the PFLP. 10th of February 1970, a transfer coach was attacked in Zurich, killing one and wounding 11. And 30th of May 1972, 28 passengers were executed at Ben Gurion Airport, the home of LL Airlines. Because of these acts of terror, LL is regarded as one of the most secure airlines in the world. Being the first to introduce compulsory bag searches, metal detectors, and X-ray scanners, LL are also the only commercial airline equipped with the Flight Guard anti-missile defense system to protect its planes from surface-to-air missiles. And to ensure the safety of its flight crews abroad, LL even provides a flank of armed escorts on their transfer buses to and from the airports and the hotels. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Welcome on board flight LL016, a Boeing 747 out of Newark. The weather is good, and with a flight time of six and a half hours, we will arrive into London Heathrow at 11.35am. On board are our attendants, Mika Alonga, Yehudi Arnon, Yuli Cohen, and Ivit Gidron. And on behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, I would like to wish you a good flight, and thank you for flying LL Airlines. With most of the crew in their 20s, many were new, but all were proud to be part of Israel's premier airline. It was a pride reflected in their uniforms, with the stewardesses each looking resplendent in an orange-striped blouse, cream-coloured heels, a bright orange skirt, and a silk scarf which matched the airline's livery. For many of the crew on board LL-016, this marked the start of a bright future. But for some, this flight would be their last. By the 1970s, the unrest in Israel had intensified, but many foreign governments still saw this little war as their problem, not ours. Having aligned with the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PFLP and rival terror groups sought to bring their campaign of terror to foreign soil. As wave after wave of bomb blasts brought fear and bloodshed to city after city, until the foreign powers sat up and took notice. One of which was the British government, with a key target for terrorists being London. July to November 1969, bombs explode at Marks and Spencer's stores ran by Teddy and Israel Seif. 15th of December 1971, the Jordanian ambassador is shot in Kensington by Black September. 19th of September 1972, the Israeli councillor for agricultural affairs was killed by a letter bomb sent by Black September, with a further 20 intercepted in Britain and 50 more found in India. 30th of December 1973, Marks and Spencer's boss, Teddy Seif, survived an attempted assassination by Carlos the Jackal 
on behalf of the PFLP. By the mid to late 1970s, the PFLP had begun firing rocket-propelled grenades at LL airliners. They had escalated their arsenal of atrocities. The innocent casualties were seen as a forgettable loss in their fight to free the Holy Land, and the hijacking and bombing of airliners had become commonplace. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. The time is 11.35am and we have arrived on schedule at London Heathrow. On behalf of myself and the flight crew of LL016, we would like to thank you for flying with LL Airlines. For the passengers, it was an uneventful flight. They ate, they slept, and the worst they would experience would be a lost bag or a bit of jet lag. The Boeing 747 was cleaned, it was refuelled, and a new crew boarded this return flight to Newark, as LL Flight 016 was terminated. For their exhausted crew of 21 men and women, this would be a regular stopover in a familiar city at a hotel their company had a long-standing contract with. With their next flight scheduled for the next morning, the turnaround would be tight, but there would still be a little time for fun. At 12.40pm on Sunday the 20th of August 1978, they boarded a transfer bus at Terminal 3. Security at UK airports by the late 1970s was lax. X-ray scanners weren't mandatory. Passengers were only routinely checked with a magnetometer, a low-level detector capable of sensing only large metal objects. And it wasn't until 1986 that passengers were first questioned on the contents of their bags. In the first week of August 1978, 22-year-old Farhad Mahi flew into Heathrow from Tel Aviv. With big bushy hair, a tight brown beard, an intense stare, and a demeanour described as ice cool. Although little is known about his history, his passport was clean and his entry into the country was approved. Waved through security, Farhad collected his suitcase from the carousel, which contained a set of nondescript casual clothes, as well as the tools of his trade. Two submachine guns, believed to be the Carlo, an inferior replica of the Israeli-made Uzi 9mm, compact enough to hide inside a jacket and capable of firing 400 rounds a minute, as well as a nest of M26 grenades fitted with a 4.4 second fuse and a kill radius of 5 to 15 meters, with its shrapnel able to inflict serious damage up to 230 meters away. His accomplice was never identified. What we do know was that he was late 20s, 5 foot 6, with protruding front teeth, a Mexican-style moustache and a sallow complexion. And although some witnesses later claimed that there were two more assailants, we know it was these two who unleashed one of the bloodiest acts of terrorism 
in London's dark history. Because one of them was sent to prison and the other was sent to the morgue. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board this Gold Eagle coach to Mayfair. My name is Ron Stagg. I'll be driving you in a Cave Edge Bedford van. But only because your Boeing 747 is too wide for Duke Street. And the Europa Hotel aren't best pleased about having a jet parked on the drive. The weather is currently fine, but being Britain, it'll probably be piddling down by the time we get anywhere nice. Thank you for flying with Gold Eagle coaches. Not that you had much choice. Across the next 50 minutes, the half-full 55-seater bus drove along the A40 from Heathrow to Victoria. As a relatively new coach, the full aspect windows were large and clear, the metalwork gleamed brightly in the sunlight, and down the length of its sides were stylish red flashes and wood panelling. Inside, the flight crew of LL016 were upbeat with their chat concerning their plans for the evening. What type of food to eat, where to go for a drink, and whether they could catch Annie or Vita at the theatre, or Saturday Night Fever, or Close Encounters of the Third Kind at the cinema. And although, over the last decade, atrocities against Israeli targets had surged on London streets, on board were an LL security escort to provide protection, even if legally they couldn't be armed. At 1.32pm precisely, the coach pulled onto Park Lane on the eastern edge of Hyde Park. Turning left onto Upper Brook Street, the engine growled as it gently cruised past the US Embassy. Its indicator clicked as the wheels steered left, and rounding the corner, the coach crawled onto Duke Street. Being too big to fit on the drive of the Europa, which was already busy as a black cab idled awaiting a fare, and an excitable wedding party milled around reception, the bus parked up parallel to the hotel, with the front passenger door facing George Yard and the rear luggage bay facing Grosvenor Square. Inside, the crew collected their hand luggage, and although they were off duty, as representatives of the airline, they straightened their caps, adjusted their ties, and brushed away any creases, so they could exit the coach with a sense of elegance and pride. Watched by the wedding guests, the cab driver, and the drinkers at the Barley Mo pub, just 20 feet away, the crew were something to behold, as there's always something impressive about a person in uniform. As the crew disembarked, the engine was cut, and the driver opened the rear boot where the aircrew's luggage was stored. Like a well-oiled machine, the concierge greeted his guests, reception prepared their room keys, and a ready line of porters stood ready to do their duty. For the flight crew of LL-016, this was the end 
of another day. But for one of the crew, it would be the end of her life. The time was 1.34pm. As Yuli Cohen stood by, she spotted two men approach from the front and rear of the coach. To her right, on the corner of Grosvenor Square, was an Arab with a Mexican moustache and protruding teeth. To her left, on George Yard, was a second, with fuzzy dark hair, who glared at the flight crew with hateful rage. Sensing the danger, Yuli stuttered to her supervisor, I think he's going to start shooting at us. But by then, it was too late. Just as Irid Gidron pulled her back from the boot, the assassins unleashed hell. Like hard, fast cracks of thunder, gunfire echoed off the walls as fierce flashes of fire erupted from their submachine guns. As the two men sprayed the coach and its human cargo with bullets. With 32 rounds in each magazine, having emptied the first clip in five seconds flat, they loaded a second, then a third, and then a fourth. In panic, terrified wedding guests dived inside the hotel lobby, pub guests dived for cover, and the air crew scattered. As hot black rain sprayed far and wide, smashing glass and ricocheting off walls. Richard Aldrich, a chauffeur, later said, Suddenly, a man ran along the side of the coach. Somebody inside closed the doors, and the man started firing. All hell broke loose. It was terrifying. Bullets riddled every door, wall or window. Guests, aircrew and passers-by alike. It didn't matter who they killed, as this was a numbers game. The target was Israel, but the more they could kill, the greater their glory. Thinking fast, Yuli ran for cover behind a parked car as she dragged a Yehudi to safety. A volley of fiery bullets had ripped through the stewardess's pale legs, snapping her bones like toothpicks. And as Yehudi drifted in and out of consciousness, a river of blood pooled as her orange skirt spread with red. Yuli called out to her colleagues. Some had got to safety, some had not, and one was entirely still. Julian Harris, who lived across the street, later stated, there were bodies and blood everywhere. And although the casualty list was climbing, the assassins were far from finished. From the black canvas sacks strung across their chests, they pulled a nest of M26 fragmentation grenades. With a kill radius of up to 15 meters and its shrapnel able to maim as far as 230 meters away, accuracy was not essential as this was a maximum casualty weapon. Harry Kane, a porter, later said, I saw one bomb land under the taxi 
and explode. Having hid inside his cab when the shooting began, although bullets had peppered the black panels, the grenade blast blew the taxi driver clear out of his seat as the bloodied man slumped onto the drive in a crumpled heap. Witnesses later stated, the grenades seemed to fall from everywhere. A second hid the glass of the Europa, spraying the staff with shards of flying glass, and the wedding guests were hit with hard steel splinters. Jim Murray, a pub manager later said of Farhad, he stood pulling grenades from a haversack and lobbing them at the bus. He was just taking them out and throwing it. God, he was ice cool. As a third grenade exploded, shrapnel struck Yuli in the arm. Johann de Plessis, a guest later stated, one of the hostesses had been blasted. I tried to help her as she lay there, but already she looked dead. And although Yuli was hurt, Yehudi was bleeding to death as a bullet had struck her in the head. Whereas the last grenade remains a mystery. Maybe Farhad caught his cohort in the crossfire. Maybe it went off by mistake. Maybe he was shot by the supposedly unarmed LL escorts. Or perhaps, having mistimed its 4.4 second fuse, the maniac with a Mexican moustache failed to throw it fast enough and felt the full force of the blast in his face. Either way, as Far had fled, his unknown assailant lay dead. Three police officers wrestled Far to the ground and he was swiftly arrested. In total, the assassin's bullets and bombs had wounded nine and killed one in an attack which lasted less than two minutes. Of the four flight crew of LL-016 who were hit, Mikhail Unger's injuries were listed as not serious, Yuli Cohen escaped with a shrapnel scar, and 23-year-old Yehudi Arnon, who was just weeks away from getting married, was listed as critical, had a bullet removed from her brain, and amazingly, she survived. But one of the crew had not. Having left the coach to collect her bag, 29-year-old Irid Gidron was hit by the first wave of bullets. Turning to face the gunfire coming from Grosvenor Square, it's likely that she died before she even knew what was happening. As an eyewitness would later recall, she was lying at the rear of the coach, all still and silent, with the back of her head entirely blown out. The British government expressed its deepest sympathy. The Israeli Prime Minister called it a barbarous crime. The PFLP took full credit for the act. And the next day, Israeli fighter jets bombed a Palestinian camp just south of Beirut, killing three and injuring 14, in a pointless tit-for-tat of violent retaliation. Farhad Mi'i was tried at the Old Bailey on the 28th of January 1979, 
On the 8th of June 1979, he was found guilty of murder, attempted murder, and explosives and weapons charges. And for that, he was given four life sentences. He is currently 65 years old and is an inmate at Dartmoor Prison. Two days after the attack, the body of Irid Gidron was flown back to Israel. As a mark of respect, she was buried near the 11 Israeli athletes who were killed in the 1972 Munich Olympics massacre. And although a memorial service is held in Haifa every year, Yuli still finds it too painful to attend. The crew of LL Flight 016 were just good people doing their jobs and living their lives, who were used as pawns in a political tug of war. 40 years on, there are still no memorials to the dead, and at least in this country, the events are mostly forgotten. But why? Perhaps it could be blamed on politics, on the deluge of devastation that the 1970s brought, on our desensitization to the violence we consume in the media. Or maybe it's as simple as this. A plaque might have been put in place had the victims of the attack been British. But as this tragedy is all but forgotten, for now, this episode will have to stand as the memorial to the crew of LL-016. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. If you enjoyed that, and you enjoy cake chat, tea twaddle, and extra details about the case, there will be more after the break. But I warn you now, it's waffly bullshit. So if that's not your thing, switch off now. But before that, here's a true crime podcast, which may very well be the equivalent of a handy megaphone for a mouthy coot. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna, have created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as the Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal, is available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Kaylee Groom, Sharon Bennett, Lydia Pappas, and Rachel Tester. I thank you all. You are now part of a very exclusive club, and unlike half of the members' clubs in Soho, it's not full of arseholes. With a thank you to two very kind anonymous donations, which came in via the supporter link. Whoever you are, I thank you. And as always, a big thank you to you. Yes, you, 
Your continued audio appreciation of the podcast is very much appreciated. Murder Mile is researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Huzzah! That was that done. I always keep meaning to do it. I'm going to get rid of my uh, uh, pop shield here. Just get that out of the way for a second. I always keep meaning at the end to do a little piss take of... You know, when you listen to all these um, all these podcasts where... Uh, Joe, it sounds like it's one person, but when you listen to the credits at the end, it's always someone going, it was researched by this person, it was uh, you know, written by this person, and the audio was done, the music was done, da, 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 and they go through a list. Well, especially all these podcasts by Wondery, and they're always like... Do you know, it sounds like you think to yourself one person's done it, but they haven't. There's a big team of them. I keep meaning to do a piss take about that. Do you know, there's one podcast out there, I won't name it, and they they list everyone. They list like the runner who's on there, the, you know, the person who made the tea. And I'm desperate to do a an end version for mine where you go, the tea was made by me. Uh, that's why I like having that little line at the end, which is going, re- written, researched and performed by myself, because it is, all this is done by me. Every single word of every single episode is written by me, researched by me, and that is never going to change. You will never, ever 
hear me uh, uh, have someone else write an episode or research an episode of Murder Mile. I just, I just, I just don't think it can be done. I really don't. I, don't, I know some people do, but I, I personally think to myself, if you create a podcast, you're creating something that's unique and yours, and you have to put your... What makes podcasts interesting is that you put yourself into it. That, you know, your tone, your ideas, the way you think about things, and the, the, the day that you start handing it away to other people stops being yours. I used to enjoy listening to Case File, but Case File's the same. He kind of he, everything's outsourced now, and it's just like the second you outsource it, it stops being yours. It just becomes generic. So, uh, yeah, Murder Mile is never going to change. It's always going to be mine. Uh, I don't think. I think that's the thing. I don't think it, it's not easy to write. I used to uh, do some uh, work for uh, BBC Radio Wales years ago, and the the thing that's interesting when, when you're writing questions for uh, radio presenters and people like that is you've got to you've got to work out their tone, and that's the hard thing. Is not just writing questions. Is working out what it is that the audience sees in that person, and what they know that that person would say. If you just write them a question, it won't work. And that's 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 why podcasts have to be there a voice. You've got to get the voice. Oh dear. Anyway, anyway. Uh, good. Welcome everyone. Welcome to Extra Mile. Uh, if you're your first time here, this is the unedited, unscripted bit. This is not the same as the first bit. This uh, that you've listened to the show already. That's done. Right. This is the extra bit. These are like the, this is like if you pick up a DVD. This is like the audio commentary. This is like the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, this is not part of the show. So you don't have to listen to this. You can switch off now. Not a problem at all. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Uh, everyone else, I'm going to open a window. Oh, it's a bit meaty in here. Um, nice and quiet out today. Not too bad. I've moved again. I'm just going to make a cup, a couple of, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. Let's do a cup of coffee. Uh, as always, instant coffee. Yeah. I just, I can't, do you know what? I can't be arsed with uh, alleged posh coffee because I sometimes find it too strong. Uh, I also get quite annoyed because even when you filter it out, you still got all the black bits. You know, all the little bits that are kind of hidden away at the bottom and I hate all that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm happy with instant. You know, stick to what you know, stick to what you know. Uh, so... Uh, what else have we got? Yeah, I've moved. I moved somewhere else. It's very nice. I'm on a bit. Of the, it's very remote where I am, but it, it's very quiet. But it's all right. You don't get too many people going past. The posh airport is a little bit further away, so you don't get all the all the the bell ends going. Oh, I'm going to a business meeting. I need to fly from a remote airport to another remote airport, and then the driver's going to pick me up and then drive me to my meeting. And then when I get to the meeting, I'm going to say to everyone, I've just arrived in my private aircraft. And everyone's going to go, well, bully for you. What bullshit. Um, but no, it's all right. It's quite nice here. I've got a fisherman who's right outside my back door. But that sounded like a euphemism. It's not. Uh, he's right outside there. It's very nice. I, I, I think a secret to uh, living on the waterway is get to know your fishermen. Because the great thing is they're, they're there from morning till night. Uh, and as long as uh, you get chatting to them, they seem like decent people. And when you look at their equipment, they've got a lot of equipment that a they don't want to leave. It's a couple of thousand pounds worth of, worth of rods and kit. They don't want to leave it. Uh, you know, and they're outside your door all day. So you know they're kind of who's going to break into your boat when you're outside the door? Exactly. Um, no cake today. Uh, I didn't pick one up at the shops yesterday, but I did pick up a diet Mars bar. 
Yeah, Diet Mars Bar. Oh, suitable for vegetarians. Yeah, flaky, flaky people. There's no in no instructions on that, but it says uh, it's a Mars Bar. It's it's like it's not even a trial size Mars Bar. It's basically a very very thin one. It's it's the size literally the size of a finger, width and length of a finger, and it's 95 calories. But it's 95 calories because it's tiny. Well done, Mars Bar. You just said, oh, this is this is a diet version. We're just going to make it smaller. It's like, remember when the trial-sized diet coats came out? I just, anyone who picked up one of those, I just wanted to slap them because that was like, it's not even a mouthful. Anyway, ugh, right. Uh, what else we got? Uh, so um, we're going through the season now. We're all doing very well. Uh, after this episode, we've got one more episode to go, which will be next week. And then, uh, because I need time to catch up with research and uh, to do the next burst of kind of episodes but also to give me a chance to go and see my dad uh there will be three episodes coming out i'm not too sure i have researched three types uh and there might be three other ones that i might do if i get a chance to record them or they may come out in october uh but either way that's all going to go well my coffee is about to go i hope i put water in uh see that's the beautiful thing that's the beautiful thing about having instant coffee. None of this bullshit. It's like none of it putting it in a, in a cafetiere and then waiting and then having to put plunger it down and then clean it out. You just put it in a mug, a nice murder well, mug, and then you have your coffee. One of the things I love as well is that a bird's custard you can get in an instant pack, which is great. Oh, gone are the old days where you have to put in the the custard powder and then the and then you have to crush up the sugar to, otherwise it makes it lumpy and then you have to get the milk nice and hot now you just add water oh, i've had apple pie and custard every night how's the diet going yeah it's going great um so uh <laughs> what else is going on all going good so hopefully in about two weeks i get to see my dad and my stepmom which will be good because i have not seen them in two and a half years now That'll be nice. I hope we recognise each other. That'll be good. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to go and see my, my good friend, Mr. Richard. His name's not Mr. Richard. I was about to say his surname then, but I realised I probably shouldn't. Uh, so I'm going to go and see Rich. Hopefully, that'll be good. And I've already just been to see my brother, which was good. It was his 50th birthday, and we did him a surprise uh, 50th birthday party. Even though he worked out it was gonna, he was going to have a surprise party because one of, his, one of his sons started cleaning. And he was like... Why is Will cleaning? And it's like, oh, shit, we got people turning up. He only cleans when people turn up. So he knew something was going on anyway. So, But that was nice. But it was weird being in a house full of... A socially distanced house full of... Like, I'm used to, like, one other person. And this was extra people. So, yeah, we did it in a garden. And it was, yeah, it was all safe and all that. Uh, so that was good, but weird. Uh, things we're going to have to get used to again. Uh, and, of course, Murder Mile Walks restart at the end of June. Uh, as mentioned before, I won't be doing any private talk, uh, private walks for the foreseeable future. But uh, uh, I've had my first vaccine. I've got my second one in July. And I've got regular uh, those uh, lateral flow tests. So I'm going to be regularly testing myself uh, on a regular basis every single week to make sure that when I do do the the walks they will be safe but also i'm not going to fill it full of people it's just going to be as as before maximum 15 evenly spaced and i'll be wearing my mask uh throughout except for the talky bit uh because uh i realize that's too difficult right let's do quiz questions as always some of these may not appear in the final episode and that's because what you've just listened to is an edited 
episode, which has taken me three days to edit. But this bit I'm recording now, having just recorded it, but I haven't edited it yet, so I don't know what I'm going to take out. But of course, if you're a patron subscriber and you get uh, the Walk With Me episodes, uh, you you know all about that because I, I give you all the secrets because I record that after I've edited. So you get all the secrets, you get all the, the bits that didn't make it into the episode and you get all the kind of uh, all, all the extra stuff that I, I couldn't tell you when uh, during this bit. So uh, that's worth subscribing to. That's that's literally what five quid a month and you get lots of goodies for that. Right. Let's do some quiz questions. Let's dive in. So. Question number one. Oh, that Mars bar looks good. Question number one. Ah, <laughs> oh, sod it. Let's have it. Oh, look at that. Oh, a little finger of chocolate. The good thing is the chocolate, it's tiny, but the chocolate is still thick. Mm. Oh, yeah. Good times. And Mars bar goes lovely with a nice hot chocolate. Uh, question number one. What was the name of the pub which was nearest to the hotel. And it's still there today. Although when I went there, it was boarded up, which is a real pain. What was the name of the pub that was nearest to the hotel? Question number two. Uh, what type of submachine gun did both men carry? Question number three. Which airport did LL016 fly from? Question number four. Which terminal at Heathrow did LL016 fly into? Not into as in crash, as in nicely. Question five. Which two terrorist attacks mentioned in the episode, which I might have edited out, featured Carlos the Jackal? Uh, Question six. Name the bus driver. Ooh, that's a hard one. Question seven. El Al Airlines was formed when Israel's first president was going where? Uh, a place name would be good for that. Question eight. Uh, El Al is the only commercial airliner equipped with what? Question nine. This is an easy one. The Europa is on what street? And to top it all off, question 10. This is a hard one. How many seats, excluding the driver, were on the coach? There you go. Uh, Let's dive into some details about the case. So, uh, Farhad Mihi, we don't really know actually that much about him, to be honest. Uh, Unfortunately, the case file for this is in the archives, but it's held for many years. I think there's a lot of politics involved around this one, which I'll dive into very shortly. So, uh, around the time we knew he was uh, 22 years old, he had large fuzzy hair, tight beard, brown hair, brown eyes, a very intense stare. He was described as angry, merciless, but calm under fire, as we've seen in the episode. Pretty much most of his back history is unknown, but he clearly knew how to use submachine guns and grenades. It is believed he was either military or guerrilla trained. Uh, when he was in court, he said that his parents had been killed by Israelis, hence his anger. Uh, in court as well, he said that he had, he had no knowledge of the second man, this unidentified um, uh, other assassin. Uh, and even though there were allegedly two or th- uh, two or three other assassins involved, he denied any knowledge of those, and he's remained by that word since. So he said it was just him uh, in the attack. Uh, he was described uh, five foot seven, well built, 
long black curly bushy hair with a thick moustache as mentioned wearing green corduroy trousers multicoloured sweatshirt and green training shoes so as you can see they're kind of very normally dressed um he was holding a haversack with uh, grenades and a submachine gun, which I will not say what type. Uh, his English was limited and he was described by those who saw him as ice cool. Um, as for the terrorist, oh, if you go to uh, Patreon, I've had uploaded some photos there and you will see one of the terrorists dead on the floor. Uh, that'll be the, well, not one of them, that one, the one that we don't know about. Uh, he died at the scene. He was described as about 35 foot six of slim build. Uh, he had protruding front teeth and black hair. Wearing a blue shirt, black trousers and white striped shoes. Uh, as mentioned, a Mexican style moustache with a sallow complexion. And he had about three to four days stubble. Uh, there was also possibly three or four others. But we, um, they're still unknown whether there was a getaway driver. There's a lot about this case, which is even though it's wrapped up, there's a lot that really we don't know a lot about. Uh uh as mentioned the bus was uh by gold eagle coaches uh which was uh they had a regular uh contract with LL airlines uh as did as they did with the europa hotel so uh this had been a long-standing thing as mentioned before london had been a bit of a hot spot for terrorism especially against uh israeli targets hence there was LL armed security well there was LL security on the coach, and this is where things get a little bit difficult. So, LL security were on the coach. Um, uh, now, uh, where's this bit that I wanted to read you? Uh, yeah, uh, 1979, so one year later, British officials said they, they had again turned down an Israeli re request for LL security guards to be allowed to carry guns in London. Um so that states that they were unarmed, uh, which makes sense. Do you know, if you're if you're a, uh, a country, you can't allow other countries to walk around uh, with their own guns in a country where we don't actually we don't have guns. Do you know, you have to have a special license. We, we're we're a civilized country. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> uh, we used to have people walking around with guns whenever they felt like it, but not in this country. And and we expect that of other people as well. Uh, but there are reports that the armed security on board returned fire but see, see a lot of these a lot of this information is really it's, it's a bit sketchy and uh, so um uh, LL said that, that their security were unarmed but if you can appreciate that they wouldn't want it to be announced that if their security was alarmed a they were breaking the rules of our country which goes against you know um our rules sorry uh, uh but then they would have to admit that they had killed a palestinian terrorist which would cause serious ramifications against ll airlines so you can understand why they would say well our, our security guards weren't armed because that kind of breaks two rules there so but some people said that the, the uh, ll security did return fire uh unfortunately there's no there's no footage of the event there's no cameras you know there's a couple of pictures afterwards uh immediately afterwards but there's, there's nothing of this moment itself um so with the terrorist himself the unknown one that's why we don't really know a lot about th there was definitely four uh grenades that were thrown and we know where the grenades landed because obviously there's kind of an uh, a bit of an impact crater and some shrapnel and you know we're able to see that the fourth grenade is the one that's a bit, little bit baffling. Um, 
So, uh, the the fourth grenade is the one that blew up the terrorist itself himself, and we we still don't know why what happened there. Either fired through a grenade and it landed near his friend and then blew him up because his friend seemed to be running around like he was the one who was running along the side of the bus and shooting people but Farhad was very calm and he kind of stood on on George Yard and was spraying his gun and then he walked away uh the, the other terrorist was the one who just seems to be all, all over the shop so we don't know whether he land he he walked in front of one of Farhad's bombs uh, grenades that were thrown or whether, because it's got like a 4.4 second fuse, uh, maybe it went off too early, maybe he mistimed it, we don't know. But either way, the grenade exploded either close to him or near him. Um, on the photo, it doesn't show his hand, so surely that would have blown up. He's lying on the ground and he's he's really badly injured. He's not, he's not horrible, but, you know, uh, he's clearly dead, which is a good thing. Um, so we don't know about that. That's a, a a bit of a mystery. Uh, as mentioned, there was a wedding party there that evening. It was a Jewish wedding. The res- uh, reception was being held at the Europa. Uh, the newlywed couple were Angela Hyman and Andrew White, and they had uh, two hundred guests who were there. Uh, the uh, The reception did take place uh, after the event, at which they paid tribute to the victims. That must have been hard to do. Kind of you you've you've had your happy day. You got married. You were about to relax and do your reception, and then there's a, a massive terrorist attack outside. Uh, the the taxi driver who was parked up outside the Europa, he was never identified, um, but he was the one. Uh, there were uh, his taxi was shot up with kind of bullets that were spraying everywhere. One of the tires went flat. The sides uh, were peppered with uh, bullets, uh, but he was entirely blown out of his cab. Uh, unfortunately, we we don't know much about him. There was a lot of people who, because this is a terrorist incident, they obviously asked the press not to give out their details at all. So there's a lot of people whose injuries we don't know about, various details, things like that. So uh, um, immediately after the event, armed police and dog handlers flooded the scene. The streets were sealed off. But by this by this point, um, Fahad had already been arrested. I think I've got it in here. We can get to it very shortly. Uh, where's uh oh yeah so there, there was an uh a, a police car actually literally one street away when the attack was happened they were coming towards the street at the time and it said a police car screamed down the wrong way of a one-way street after an arab who was running three police officers jumped out of the car and pounced on the arab who was shouting screaming and kicking they managed to handcuff him and take him away uh he was taken away to west end central which is um Unfortunately, no longer used, but it's uh, the local police station, literally like two streets away. This is where things get weird. Uh, Alan Fikin, 20-year-old hotel chef, said after the shooting, several men ran into the kitchen and tried to get into chef's uniforms. uh, But for some reason, they didn't and they ran out again. See, there's some people who said there were three assassins and others who said there was four. Um... There may have been two assassins who were the ones that we saw. There may have been a watcher. There may have been a getaway driver. We don't know. So um, uh, there's a lot about this case that's really unknown. Uh, In total, nine people were taken to the Middlesex Hospital. That's over in Fitzrovia. Five of the wounded uh, underwent operations that night. 
Uh, one of the hostesses, Yehudi, was in uh, critical condition and her chances of survival were slender. Um, the other hostesses suffered two machine gun wounds, uh, but were expected to pull through. As mentioned, uh, Irid Gidron, who was 29, uh, she was uh, fatally uh, killed that day, uh, literally at uh, uh, the very start of the attack. Uh, Yehudi Arnon uh, was still in critical condition by the Monday of the next day and she had a bullet removed from her brain. Her parents were flown from Israel to be with her. Uh, she was 22. She was due to be married in a couple of weeks. Uh, she was hit in the head and the leg. Um, uh, by the 28th of September, so almost a month later, she was in hospital doing better, but she was still very weak. Uh, and they, she was able to leave... Uh, London. Ten days after that, she flew back to Israel. Uh, I, I don't know much more about her after that. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Um, as mentioned, uh, immediately after the attack, they were trying to find out where the terrorists had been staying. They'd obviously taken up residence in a hotel or a boarding house or somewhere for the last 17 days because they knew that they'd been in the UK for at least a week. But as far as I know, because I haven't got the police file, they were. it wasn't announced in the press whether they'd found it or not. It, it appears that they hadn't. But the police were saying, um, given the fact that they'd been here two weeks and given the fact that all that they had on them was some clothes and their guns and their um, the grenades, surely their luggage would be elsewhere. So they were looking for a guest house or something where there was luggage and, you know, a bill hadn't been paid or something like that slurp of coffee there we go oh um what else we got uh yeah as mentioned uh, immediately the next day israeli planes attacked two palestinian centers in lebanon at the dawn uh, at dawn in retaliation for the grenade and submachine attack on the uh israeli airline bus uh, so it was less than 24 hours three guerrillas were killed and 14 were wounded uh, at a, a palestinian camp just south of beirut uh, some reports say that this was a refugee camp. Other report that this was a, uh, a, a a military training camp. Some reports say that it was a children's school. Uh, although it was a dawn strike, so the school was actually empty at the moment. Uh, some even say that the day school was used as a guerrilla training camp for boys aged 9 to 13 years old. So, you know, even, even things like this, there's still kind of uh, anger and kind of... You know, lies being twisted and turned around oh, we've got the home office statements here yeah I won't really go into that because you know the words that come out of uh, any politician's mouth is usually bullshit and they will say any old shit and you know for a while that the second it's come out of their mouth they've forgotten it and they've moved on to anything else and that normally involves filling their pockets full of money or uh, getting contracts for their buddies We've seen a lot of that in Britain recently, haven't we? Oh, joy. <laughs> Who's going to be the best best company to be able to fulfil this order? I know. I've got a friend and he has some spare time on his hands and he would love a couple of million pounds. There we go. That's the way things are done in this country. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, Israel did not seek the extradition of Fahad. They could have done, given the fact that uh, he was uh, an Israeli, but they didn't. So uh, he remains in the UK. 
Oh, okay, this is what I wanted. Uh, there was a, was a remand hearing at Marlborough Street Magistrates Court, which is uh, uh, in Soho, on the 23rd of August, 1978. Um, uh, uh, Fahad had threatened the magistrates. He'd thumped his handcuffed fists on the dock and shouted, I am... If I am not released, we are going to hit your various interests inside and outside this country. I mean, that's that's oh, threatening your various interests. Oh, my various interests are cake and Eva Green. You'd best not hurt them, otherwise he's dead. Uh, the magistrate sent him back to prison. Uh, asked by uh, stipend magistrate David Hopkin whether he had anything to say, Farhad said, uh, If you don't release me, something will happen to you that won't be good. The, the judge asked the judge asked is that a formal application for bail or is it a threat Farhad said it's a threat through an interpreter I quite like that because the judge is clearly not taking him very seriously uh, uh, there was an inquest uh, a coroner's inquest held at the West, Westminster Coroner's Court uh, 23rd of August 1978 uh, into the murder of uh, Irid Gidron uh, Professor Keith Simpson said that the death was caused by multiple bullet wounds to the head and chest. Uh, it looks, uh, as, as mentioned, it looked like she was getting her bags out of the coach. Her back was to uh, uh, Grosvenor Square. She turned to see what the sound was, and then she got. That's when she got hit. So it looks like she she pretty much died instantly. Um, trial was held at the Old Bailey 28th of April 1979 there was lots of police guards there was even snipers on the roof because if you go out to the earlier episode of the uh the uh one of episodes of Murder Mile the attempted assassination of Abda Akhrazak Saeed Al Naif you're welcome I can still learn how to say that uh that was the one the bungled assassination uh this was actually uh, about a year later uh, a motorbike went past with two guys on it, one of them pulled out a submachine gun and 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 murdered the ex-Iraqi uh, prime minister, president, prime minister outside. Uh, I think it was the Park Lane Hotel. So this was actually that case at that point. So in the Old Bailey, they had two, um, they had terrorist act and an assassination in the building at the same time. So there's a lot of security going on at that point. Uh, what else? Da, 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 da. Yep, he was sentenced to four uh, life sentences to be served concurrently, so he's never going to be released. Uh, uh, there's a, a documentary out there. I haven't. I've only had a chance to watch bits of it. I haven't got got to watch a lot of it. But uh, Yuli Cohen, who was one of the flight attendants who was injured in the attack. Um, she did a she made a documentary uh, back in 2002 called my terrorist um and kind of o over the years she's you know obviously you can appreciate not only was she she was physically injured but it's kind of the emotional impact of that whole event she's kind of just it's taken a lot of uh uh you know uh, uh, a lot she's really struggled a lot with this so uh she made a documentary called my terrorist where she kind of looks into the kind of relationship between you know the the israelis and the palestinians and kind of terrorism and things like that and she even uh she got a chance to go to broadmoor uh to meet with uh fahid mihi the terrorist himself so um i've never seen it but you can watch it online so uh well you can watch bits of it online i haven't been able to watch all of it but um yeah I think that's it. Let's do, let's do the questions. Oh, oh! Look, I've still got a bit of Mars bar left. Yummy! Yeah. Uh, 
Yummy. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I'm going to do a new podcast called Yummy, Yummy, Yummy. Where I just eat things. And that's it. Which is basically this episode. Right. Let's do this. Right. Question number one. What was the name of the pub which was nearest to the hotel? It was the Barley Mo. Question number two. What type of submachine gun did both men carry? It was called the Carlo. Carlo is basically it's a, it's a an inferior uh, replica of the Uzi nine millimeter, which is kind of a, a very small, compact submachine gun. These were handmade. They're kind of popular with the kind of Israeli gangs that are out there. As mentioned, they do like four hundred rounds a minute. You can empty a clip in about five seconds. It's thirty two rounds per magazine. Uh, but the problem is because they're, they're inferior, they have a tendency to jam. Uh, not jam as in, but, you know, shit jam. Uh, not jam as in put it on your bread either. Uh, question three. Which airport did LL016 fly from? It was from Newark. Question four. Which terminal at Heathrow did LL016 fly into? That was terminal three. Uh Question five, which two terrorist attacks mentioned in the episode feature Carlos the Jackal? Uh, That was the attempted assassination of Teddy Seif uh, and the rocket grenade attack at Orly Airport. If you remember, that was the one where they fired two rocket propelled grenades at an aircraft and they missed it both times and hit an empty building and uh, a car that wasn't being used. And then they blew out the the back of their windscreen because they're dickheads. Uh, question six, name the bus driver. His name was Ron Stagg. Question seven, oh, LL Airlines was formed when Israel's first president was going where? Uh, he was going to Geneva in Sweden. Sweden? Switzerland. It's written there, Switzerland, and I said Sweden for no reason. Question eight, LL is the only commercial airliner equipped with What? It's the Flight Guard Anti-Missile Defence System. Very nice to know that. Uh, question nine, an easy one. Which you, uh, The Europa Hotel is on what street? That's Duke Street. And question ten, this is a difficult one. How many seats, excluding the driver, were on the coach? It's 55 lovely jubbly there we go uh yeah just to say if you're on patreon as well i've uploaded some extra videos as well so you've got the location video that are filmed but i've also found some other interesting videos that uh, you might quite like as well uh there's some some kind of footage of the aftermath of the attack you see the bus in situ you see uh the the stewardesses all uh and flight crew all being taken back to heathrow and flown back to israel there's also kind of uh uh Irit's coffin being taken back to Haifa and you know that's quite sad to see as well so there's a, there's a lot on there so if, if if you want to ladies and gentlemen you can subscribe to uh uh, uh Murder Mile, the Patreon account on there which is all very exciting and you get loads of goodies every week uh, and even better you get to support Murder Mile, which is fantastic and help keep help keep a small independent podcast alive not like these big fat uh, a podcast from Wondery who uh, earn an absolute fortune 
an absolute fortune. Hence, they can have big teams. Yeah. Anyway, that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that. That was all good fun. Uh, I shall uh, see you all next week for next week's episode, uh, which is a secret. Whoa. I thought I was going to give it away then. Right. I'm going to finish my Mars bar and I'm going to have my coffee. Have yourself a good weavening. We are weavening. Maybe a weavening is a kind of evening where you either weave or we. Who knows? Anyway, have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.